awaken from this illusion. And you understand that black implies white. Self implies other. Life implies death. You can feel yourself, not as a stranger in the world, not as something here on probation, not as something that has arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mind Podcast, episode number four. Wow, we've made it to number four already a big shout out and thank you to everyone who has joined the podcast membership section over on parallelmike.com already really appreciate your support and also a big thank you to those that are just listening to part one the free section i hope you're finding value too and if you do and you cannot afford or do not want to become a member just yet i would really appreciate it if you could give this one a five star review over on apple itunes or on overcast or whatever podcast app you use That is just one way of sending me a thank you and putting your support out there for the podcast. Of course, only if you want to, but I would really, really appreciate that. Also, simply sharing this podcast with people who you think will find value in these conversations about meaning, about spirituality, and of course, about the hidden history of monetary alchemy, then that is a big support to the channel. Also, it helps spread the word and bring more people into this because I think truly what we need to take us away from this precipice that we are now collectively all on, where it looks like we could fall into the void at any minute. There's so much darkness out there. What we actually need is individuals who feel a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. And I'm hoping that these conversations are going to help you discover that in your own life if you don't have it already, or if you do, to reflect on it in a much deeper way. And of course, along the way, I hope you find it interesting and educational, as well as motivating and inspiring. Now, I know for a fact that today's interview guest, Rickman, has been those things for many, many people over the past two years. Rick started producing videos on his Twitter feed, really simple videos, just of himself talking to the camera, giving his own commentary as to what he was seeing take place during those many, many months of madness where we lost our collective mind as a society, let's face it. And Rick was giving out this message of defiance, at times hope, at times despair even, because he was talking about the real emotions that were coming out because of this. And he was trying to instill in people that toughness and that steel to resist what was happening. So he got a very big following on Twitter. And eventually he got the attention of some radio producers over in Australia who wanted to start a new show called TNT Radio. And what TNT Radio started to do, if you haven't heard of it, I'm sure you probably have, but if you haven't, they started to collect some of the most outspoken voices out there, intelligent voices that were giving people an alternative message to the one that the mainstream was giving. And Rick got brought on board, and since then, 
For over a year now, he's had this fantastic radio show that goes out live three times a week and he talks about it a little bit at the end of today's conversation. So if you want to check that out, you can. I've been on it numerous times myself, so I'm sure if you've been following me, you've probably heard me on TNT at some point or at least know that I've been on there. Now, one of the reasons why I think Rick's message became so popular and he became such a followed person is not just because of his charisma and his ability to say things in a way that is worded so well that people think, wow, I wish I could say it like that. That's exactly what Rick is like when you hear him speak. He puts things in just the right way to hit the right target audience. But another reason why I think Rick is so popular is because his message has a lot of depth. And I'm talking about spiritual depth here. And the reason for that is because Rick has a very strong faith and belief system. Now, over the past two years, many people have found themselves all of a sudden reevaluating what we are and where we are. And that's because they've seen true evil, perhaps for the first time in their life. They've seen true evil and that has got them thinking, well, if true evil exists, if this place where we are is not simply moral relativism, then perhaps true good exists as well. And if these people worship Satan, if they follow the darkness, maybe there is an opposing force too, the light, i.e. God. And so for those people, Rick became a source of spiritual inspiration also because he is somebody that has already traveled that path. He has a very concrete set of beliefs. These are based in the Christian faith. So Rick is a follower of the Bible. And that is something we're going to be talking about a lot in today's episode, specifically the end times as the Bible sees it. We're going to talk about revelations and this idea that we might be entering a sort of biblical end times. Now, for those people that don't follow the Christian faith but have some kind of conceptualization of God, I don't think it really matters in this instance because what we are seeing take place actually out there in society is very much informed by the monotheistic take on end times. We see the encoding of 666 absolutely everywhere and it's no coincidence. We see out-and-out satanic rituals being performed in Hollywood, in the mainstream media, at the opening ceremonies to events. Again, this is not coincidence. And we, of course, keep uncovering time and time again that many of those people at the very top actually have some very dark and sinister beliefs that would very much fit in with the biblical take on what a Satanist is or somebody who worships one of these dark entities like Baal or Moloch or Satan or Lucifer. Whatever you want to call it, we're seeing evidence of that everywhere. And interestingly, if you look at the biblical timeline as to what has to take place before the return of the Antichrist, what you find is that many of the things that are occurring actually fall very much in line with that timeline. That being said, even if you don't follow Christianity as your specific faith system, it's very important to actually understand that many of the people who are enacting some of these agendas in this world do follow that. Of course, they follow it on the side of darkness or evil rather than the side of good. So I really wanted to get somebody on the show who has a very good understanding of the Bible in terms of those biblical passages. And in part one of today's episode, we're going to be going through that. Not completely, of course, because this is an absolutely massive area of study called eschatology. You could study this for decades, and many people do. So we're going to have a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of it in part one. Try and get to the bottom of what is actually said in the Bible and how that plays out from Rick's own point of view, of course, because we all have our own unique take. 
So I think you're going to find an awful lot of value in part one. You're going to find it very interesting and it will help you to reflect on your own relationship with these stories around end times. Now in part two, things get really interesting because I actually had a whole second part lined up that I was going to go through where we was going to talk about how these end time prophecies are actually playing out in the real world. However, me and Rick actually got involved in a conversation that took us to a completely different place. And whilst it still certainly referenced many of the dystopian agendas that are taking place right now, like transhumanism, it actually took us to a very different place than I expected, a much more hopeful place. One where we actually spoke about our own faiths and how we came to have a relationship with the Creator, whether that is the God of the Christian Bible or your own representation. It really doesn't matter. It was more a conversation about how we cloak ourselves in the armor of God, how we try to be light bearers for other, how we inspire ourselves and how we overcome things like doubt, fears, stress, anger. And I really wasn't expecting that, but that was just the natural course of the conversation. And now I'm really glad that it did go down that path because it turned into a much more meaningful conversation than I think I could have done if I'd have followed this pre-planned set agenda. So I'm really happy about that. And I think members are going to really enjoy that part. Of course, you can enjoy part one for absolutely free. But if you do want to listen to part two, please head over to parallelmic.com. And we would be glad to have you over there. So members, please remember to log in on the website to access the full episode. For everyone else, here is part one of my interview with Rick Munn, entitled Entering the End Times with Rick Munn. Right, so I would like to welcome our very special guest today. That is Rick Munn. Rick, we've spoken numerous times over the past year, and I can't think of anyone better to have on the podcast to discuss this very important topic of end times. And what Rick is going to be doing today is giving us the biblical take from Rick's perspective. And I think this is really important for all of us, particularly those of us who have this conceptualization that we are in this battle of good versus evil, because that's essentially what this is about. And whether you accept the Christian take or not, I guess what we're getting at here is that across all religions and most philosophical views there's some kind of end time and i think it's really important that we look at the biblical take because so much of that is seeping out into the real world whether you follow that or not certainly those who are enacting these agendas do follow some of it or at least draw power and strength from it by actually enacting it in the real world so rick before we get into any of this welcome to the show Thank you very much, Mike. It's nice to be at the other side of the microphone today with you talking or grilling me rather than the other way around. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, and I heard a fantastic podcast with you, Rick, on this. It was the Staying Free podcast, and you talked a lot about eschatology. And you've got a really good understanding of it. And I know this is actually makes up a part of your belief structure, and it does mine too, although I'm sure we've got different ways of viewing it, which might come out in today's uh, show. But I thought maybe to begin with, Rick, could you just, to open up the conversation, explain your understanding of what end times are and how the Bible reveals this to us? Well, you know, as you've already mentioned there, Mike, most major faith systems, if not all major faith systems, will have some kind of allusion towards an end time or a period of time where everything gets wrapped up. And Christianity is absolutely no different in that respect. Me personally, I'll put my cards on the table right now. I'm a born again evangelical Christian. Wasn't always that way. I was born and brought up in the Anglican church. 
I found a lot of things in that uh, belief system that didn't, for me, align with the Bible. So in my teenage years, I turned my back on it 100%, went out into the world, actually went, did a 180, uh, became about as anti-God and about as anti-Christ as you could possibly be for a period of several years. Then I had a few, uh, how would I describe them as near-miss experiences, where I attributed my survival and preservation in the face of certain death to the intervention of Almighty God himself. And that led to a, a, a seeking, I suppose you would say, a journey of seeking, which led me to have the faith that I have as per right now. So let me just say this once and once only at the start of the conversation. These are my views. Uh, you can agree with them, disagree with them. That matters not to me. These are my views and these are personal. This is my take on it. A thousand people could hear this conversation. 500 may agree, 500 may disagree. They all may disagree or agree. That's not the point. So I'm giving you my take on things today from my uh, own studies and my own experiences, okay? And from reading the Bible, uh, the inspired word of God, in my opinion. Uh, I believe that this period of time that we are currently in uh, is the last days, uh, or should I say the last of the last days. The Bible talks about the last days beginning around about 2,000 years ago uh, at the times of uh, the prophets and Jesus Christ himself said uh, that, you know, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years or a thousand years is as one day. So, Time is moving along. There's always been periods of turbulence in history, periods of mass death, uproar, uprising, uh, tumult, etc. But never, in my opinion, at a time like this, the rate at which things are happening, the scale at which things are happening, that really leads me to think that this could be it at this particular point in time. So that's uh, that's where I am at the moment. Okay, so that's a really good opener, Rick. So... I guess what we're getting at here is that there's this period that's going to ensue here on, I don't want to say planet Earth, but this place where we live. And it's going to lead to something of an ending to this whole period of history that we've had. And there's certain things that are set out in the Bible that discuss what we're going to see and what's going to happen. So maybe we could start by talking about what does the Bible lay out as the warning signs or the events that we're going to start to recognize along the way that tell us we're in end times? What is it that's convincing you right now? Well, there's a there's a description. There's many, many descriptions. We won't have time to get into all these because I know time is our enemy here and time is short. OK, so there's there's various descriptions in the Bible of what things will look like in these so-called end times. Now, one of them is the way people behave, for example. So there's a scripture, it's just a few verses in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3. And this is this is what the Bible says. It says, Know this also, that in the last days that perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, they shall be covetous, they shall be boasters, they shall be proud, they shall be blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without any natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, in other words, incapable of self-restraint, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the part thereof, of such men, turn away. 
I don't know about you, Mike, but that's quite an exhaustive list. And the more I look around planet Earth or the globe or whatever you want to call it, or I see things happening on the world stage, the more I can see this uh, manifestation of characteristics appearing more frequently, more intensely with more and more people. So that that gives you an example of what we should be looking out for in terms of even personal behavior in these uh, end of days. There's no doubt about that. And I knew you'd pick Timothy 3, uh, 1 to, is it 3, 1 to 5, that one? It's Timothy, uh, Second Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Yeah, yeah. I, so I knew, I knew that quote would come out, Rick, because like you, that perfectly describes what we see around us today. And there's so many things that we're going to draw out today that will perfectly describe the situation we're in, this perilous situation where we've got a godless society We've got this cult of narcissism, people that have adultery of the self. All of these things are happening. But I guess what I want to try and pin down too is some of these parts of Revelations and the book of Daniel that actually talk about the things that we're going to see, not just in terms of people, because that could go on for thousands of years. I mean, people could continue to live like this for another 100 years, another 500 years, another 1,000 years. But what about the actual end times what makes you think rick now that the things that we're seeing are actually going to participate what you discuss in that previous podcast which is this kind of rapture moment where we have this seven year of tribulations do you actually think that we're entering that period now because that's a very specific and quite dark time it's hard to know exactly when that's going to be. In fact, Jesus Christ himself says in the Bible, he says, of that day and hour knows no man, not the, the angels in heaven, not the Son of God, but God only himself. So the actual return of Christ that's precipitated by seven years of uh, the worst suffering and the worst hell that's ever been experienced on planet Earth, the Great Tribulation, we don't know exactly uh, when that will be, but we can look at indicators and signs. And let me also put a caveat in here as well. A lot of the things that I will describe uh, you could argue easily, this has been happening for thousands of years. What's the big deal? So the list that I've just gave you, the, the list of those negative characteristics and those narcissistic traits, you could easily say, well, that happened last year and 100 years ago, and it happened in the Roman times and way past that. Agreed. But you've got to look at uh, the frequency at which this is happening and the scale in which it is being applied. Okay, so more and more uh, debauchery is manifesting itself on the earth at this time. More and more immorality is being accepted as being normal than ever was on the earth at this time. It's happening on a, it's the scale, Mike, that we need to be concerned about, not the actual acts of being treacherous and incontinent and fierce and despisers of parents. There's always been that, but it's happening more and more frequently. But not only that, but it's now being accepted almost as a norm in society itself. Uh, they're brushing away any uh, boundaries and restraints that would keep people on the straight and narrow with regards to respect for their elders, with regards to respect for themselves. And it's now being uh, almost like a Crowley-esque, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That seems to be the replacing the laws that are written in the word of God for our uh, guidance and for our good. Uh, I suppose it's the scale at which we're seeing things happening now and the frequency at which we're seeing things happening now. That's uh, what would give me a cause for concern at this point in time. You know, I, you've almost said word for word what I wrote, wrote down for something that I'm going to bring up in part two. And that is exactly what I'm seeing too. The difference between, let's say, Victorian England, where we had children being sent into 
uh, factories at the age of two or three, which was evil. That was satanic. That was that was something that you could point to at the time and say, look what's happening. Look where we're going. Oh, my God, this is the end. But the difference between all and you could do that all throughout history. You could go back to ancient Greece. You could go back to Rome where we had slaves and all of these terrible things, uh, people being subjugated. However, like you said, the difference right now is it is mainstream. It's the entirety of the Western world, at least, that has adopted essentially satanic belief structures and is enacting that out in the world. And it's en masse. And we've had en masse turning away from God and nihilism, meaningless wealth, uh, all of the worst things that could be possibly uh, that a human could possibly do have seeped into the lives of the everyday person. So this is something that's never happened. Throughout history, people would have always condemned those things that I mentioned, like slavery. Uh, Maybe people would have accepted it within their culture. But we know if you have a spiritual belief system, these things would have been repulsive. Whereas today, these things are actually being uh, worshipped and uh, cheered on. And that is the big difference. So that, that, like you, that says to me, we're in a very different time. Well, look at, uh, just take one example, for example, this whole... uh perversion and, and corruption of children in schools uh, a school should be a place where a child goes to learn a child goes to uh you know develop social skills a child goes to uh you know better themselves with an education that's not what a school is these days from the get-go children are now being taught and it's being accepted number one by politicians number two by teachers unions number three by teachers and school heads and number four by parents that it's okay to actually talk to your children about their gender whether or not they're boys or girls and they're free to change that as they decide and mommy and daddy don't have to know about it that's what's being pushed to four-year-olds in schools these days legally and if people talk out about it it's like no you need to catch up with the times you're old-fashioned you're outdated this is the way things are at the minute so bearing in mind this is not these are not isolated incidences here it's happening all across europe it's happening in america it's happening in various parts of the world en masse it's not one school or two schools or three schools or isolated incidents pornography being available for children on their reading curriculum in public schools drag queen story hours for children as well what business an adult a male entertainer has entertaining children reading books for them dressed up in full drag and fetish gear i I just can't get my head around that one as it is but the acceptance of that by local authorities, by police that enforce this or allow these things to happen, by uh, local council boards that permit their buildings to be used for this, and parents who actually bring their children to this filth, sometimes paying money to have the privilege of having their child corrupted. Mike, this is not a one-off or it's happened once in Minnesota or it's going on in some outpost in Siberia. This is happening the world over. It's being accepted as the new norm. This perversion, this deviancy, this uh, manifestation of evil is being embraced by the world, my friend. It is not being rejected and refused and resisted. It is being embraced, which is another indication of how far we have fallen before the end comes. These are all signs and precipitations of what is to come. These things must happen before the end comes. So that kind of feeds into your first question to me. Uh, How do you know what makes you think this? Well, this is just another facet of it. And that's just one example. Yeah, and I 100% agree. There there is a really dark sickness right at the heart of society now. And I personally believe that Satan, that Satan, 
are the people who worship Satan have poisoned us. They've absolutely poisoned us, and now we are riddled with evil. And it's and it's and it's spread out like like it's like it's almost like a tree. Once a tree is poisoned, it goes down into the roots and it spreads out. And then it can poison the different trees around it. Well, that's exactly what's happened. And the whole forest now is seemingly poisoned. I want to talk about this a lot in part two when we talk about what is actually happening in society. But I think it's important, like you said, to mention it as that indicator of what the Bible tells us the end days are going to look like. And this whole turning away from God and this nihilism and meaningless, that to me, Rick, is what really gets me. I can see it everywhere. And I can see it in the way people act. I can see it in the lack of courage people have, the lack of will to actually even try and change anything. It's almost like this attitude of what does it matter? It doesn't matter. Life's just for dead materialism. We're just here to enjoy ourselves. Like you said, this satanic Crowley belief system that just do what you want is fine. Take what you want. Screw over whoever you want. It doesn't matter. You know, none of it matters. And that particularly the harm of children that to me is the biggest indicator of satanism because satan wants to harm the most innocent and vulnerable that's that's key and getting other people to harm them too tricking people and that's to me what the story of the last few years have been people have now started to harm children en masse they've been tricked into it and that to me is the biggest indicator that we are potentially entering this kind of end time uh, think about it this way as well okay when if you talk to the average person and you use a word association game and you say satan or demon uh, this picture will come into people's heads of this red character with forked uh, uh, a forked tongue and and horns on his head and a pitchfork breathing fire with cloven hooves or this demonic entity this evil face that people can see that they see in horror films that's not necessarily uh, in fact it's not what the devil looks like or the, how the devil manifests himself okay now let me give you another example just two verses from scripture uh, this is in the book of second corinthians chapter 11 okay so this is what to watch out for just uh, three verses okay second uh, corinthians 11 uh, verse 13 for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of christ so a deceitful worker and a false apostle will transform themselves to become as an apostle of christ to have a good background to have a christian background to be a light bringer not someone who spreads darkness verse 14 and no marvel for satan himself is transformed into an angel of light Okay, not a demonic red evil figure breathing fire with these big red eyes. No, transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers are transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So this attack on children, the devil in the Bible, it says he comes to, to kill, to steal and destroy. It describes him as a murderer from the beginning. It describes him as a liar and the father of all lies. What have we had pushed upon us incessantly, especially over the last three years? Lies masquerading as truth. And when the truth is told, then it is told that it is a lie. Children have been murdered and harmed mentally 
and physically in the last three years. Mental health crises, suicide rates are going up. There's more than one way to take the life of a child. It doesn't have to be by suffocation or by slitting them th their throat in some demonic ritual. You can inject the child with a, a fluid into their arm or two jabs of it, and three to six months later, they may well be dead. There are many ways to dispose of a child or to harm a child. And what have we seen? So-called leaders of faiths throughout the world who are effectively transforming themselves into ministers of righteousness and angels of light, but they are of their father, the devil. You look at Prince Charles, who uh, I believe we may be touching upon later on in this uh, discussion that we're having today. He's supposed to be the defender of the Christian faith. He's supposed to be the head of the Church of England. You look at the Pope at the minute, the head of the Catholic Church at this point in time. You look at somebody like the President of the United States, Joe Biden, who's a professingly devout Catholic, who was reading at a dress over Easter Sunday, quoting David in the book of Psalms and repeatedly referring to him as the palmist, the palmist, the palmist. He couldn't even pronounce his own title correctly. These are all deceitful workers, false apostles, transforming themselves into something that is good, but they're evil. They have an evil agenda. And we see this right across the board in politics, in, uh, in business, uh, in so-called influence and social media and in so-called leaders of faith across all denominations. They're all wicked and rotten to the core because they all share the same parentage, which is their children of their father, the devil, in my humble opinion. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that on many different levels. I think that what this is that we're seeing is the manifestation of something that's been there for thousands of years and it's traveled down and it started in one area and now it's spread out and it's spread out and they've managed to get everyone in position of power really to be uh, who's a part of this uh, belief structure. Whatever, whatever, whatever that is to the listener, you'll know what we're talking about. You can define it how you want. You can define it biblically or you can define it, define it very uh, spuriously and say it's some kind of evil. But whatever it is, there's darkness at the heart of this. Now, do you see the book of Revelations, Rick, as the roadmap towards the end times? Do you think that tells us exactly the roadmap that we're going to be traveling down to get towards this end time goal? 100%. Uh, I mean, if you take the book in and of itself, and again, uh, this this book, uh, if all it is, I mean, it's literally a few dozen pages uh, at the end of the Bible, but yet you could spend your entire life studying it and trying to unpack it and still not even begin to scratch the surface. And again, if I can just read what it says about itself uh, from Revelation chapter one. It's called the Revelation of St. John the Divine, but in reality, uh, it's actually the Revelation of Jesus Christ, which it describes itself as in verse one, which God gave unto him, Jesus Christ, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So it talked about things that were going to happen in the future. Now, this is the problem with Christianity, I suppose you could say. You can get uh, 10 people on here that will say, no, this isn't uh, the roadmap for the future, Mike. I've studied it all my life, and I don't believe it is. Then you could have another 10 guys coming on, theologians, saying, well, actually, it is the roadmap for the future, and I've studied it all my life. I try and keep this really, really simple, okay? There's parts of Revelation I don't know what they mean. I've no idea what they mean. And I probably never will until I meet the Lord Jesus Christ himself, at which point I'll ask him directly and he'll give me the answers to my questions. But there are large chunks of that book, okay, which I think we will probably refer to, which many people 
even the most hardened unbeliever would be under no dispute that we are seeing playing out before our eyes at this time. The most infamous of which, I suppose you would say, is the so-called mark of the beast. For some reason, everybody seems to know about that. And like I said, even the most hardened atheist uh, or unbeliever would certainly uh, have a job dissuading me that uh, the words that are in Revelation chapter 13 are not, for example, playing out or about to play out maybe within the next 10 years in our lifetime. So I do believe it's a roadmap for exactly what will come. You know, God didn't write it for fun. He didn't reveal it for fun through the Holy Spirit. I believe it's there for our direction and guidance. Whether or not we grasp it all or pick it up right is neither here nor there, but I do believe it's a, a roadmap for what is coming. He sent and signified it, things which must shortly come to pass. Yeah, so, okay, maybe we could pick some of them apart and... Uh, I don't have the full text in front of me, but we can maybe talk about it in a more generic sense. But if you have some of the quotes, then that'd be fantastic as well, Rick. So it talks about how during the end times, there's going to be this period where we, first and foremost, there's a one world government. That's very clear about that, that a one world government comes to pass. And this happens before the Antichrist ever actually arrives. So the one world government comes to pass. They persecute Christians and there is all of this stuff that we've already spoke about, this kind of apostasy and people becoming idolatrous and nihilistic and worshipping themselves or some false idols. And this one world government comes to pass. And that lasts for, say, we don't know, actually, it doesn't tell us how long, but let's just imagine it lasts for 20 years or 10 years, whatever. And then the Antichrist arrives. Now, the Antichrist doesn't arrive as some kind of demon, like you said, with big horns and breathing fire. It's not like that. The Antichrist would probably be somebody who looks like George Clooney's a seducer. He comes along and he actually opposes the one world government to begin with. He opposes them and appears to be on the side of righteousness. And therefore, all of us Christians or uh, whatever you are, I don't, I don't necessarily call myself a Christian, but whatever you believe, if you're against this evil, you then actually become seduced by this Antichrist figure because you believe that he is the savior, that he's coming to save us. And all of the... I don't know about you, Rick, you can give your opinion on this, but all of the passages that I've read about this Antichrist suggest to me he is going to be a counterfeit Christ. He's going to Correct. be able to perform some kind of magic tricks and miracles. And that is how it begins. But that's early in the story before we get to these tribulations, isn't it? So maybe we could speak about that a bit. This one world government certainly seems like that is forming around us, but it's not here yet. There's a little nugget okay, in the Bible uh, uh, concerning all this business that most people overlook, okay? It's in the book of Second Thessalonians, okay? So it's only a few chapters long, but it's very specific about the things of which you have just spoke about or speculated about concerning the revelation of the man of sin or the unveiling of the Antichrist, okay? So again, I'm only including these as reference points for you and your listeners that you can go to and take bite-sized chunks of scripture that back up some of the points that I'm making here, because we just don't have 20 hours to go into a deep dive on this one. This is an initial introduction to this from the word of God itself. So Second Thessalonians chapter two, listen to this. Let no man deceive you by any means. And I'm going to read from verse three down to uh, verse four. So just two verses. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, i.e. the return of Jesus Christ, except there come first a falling away from the faith, 
So there will be a massive falling away from faith in God and from the worshipping of God towards what will become a new world order, one world order religious system. So there has to be a falling away first. This has to happen first, okay? And then that man of sin shall be revealed. He's referred to here as the son of perdition. And as you rightly said, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God by lying signs and wonders and false signs and wonders. Mike, it's going to be the most mind blowing time in history. If you think the last few years has been crazy and things are going to get really mad, it's going to go off the scale at the introduction or the revelation of the Antichrist. So he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition, and he cannot be revealed until there's a great falling away from the faith first. And as you correctly said, he will set him up almost like God. He will bring peace. He will bring a counterfeit peace. The Bible says when there's peace, peace. When people are saying peace, peace, then there shall be sudden destruction. The one time you need to be careful out there of people is when you think everything's settled down and you think everything's been sorted out and you think order has been restored in the world. The Bible says when they say peace, peace, then shall sudden destruction come upon them, ushered in at the at the hands or the paws of the Antichrist. Yeah, no, that's very well, very well put. And yeah, so it seems to me like this this initial part of it, this one world government part, and you know, for the listeners, I'm sure they'll know or they'll recognize that all of the things that we're talking about are taking place right now all around us. And it's been and we've been it's almost like a spearhead. We're at the really pointy end of it. At the at the other end of it, it feels like it's all just kind of hearsay or people maybe being doomsdays. But the closer you get, the more it actually all comes into view. It's like you bla- it's blurry to begin with, but it's really getting into focus now. Like all of these all of these ideas and things that are happening that reference Satan or reference evil, it's all coming into focus. There's not really any debate around it. Uh, what people used to point to and say Hollywood films or the mainstream media and say, oh, this is satanic. And other people would laugh and say, oh, you've been approved. Now it's actually, for me at least, the people that I know who are not even religious, they're all pointing at it and saying, no, this is satanic. This is mm-hmm. this is dark. This is evil. And this is what's going to happen as we get to the end time. So let's talk a little bit more about this Antichrist figure. And we'll talk about it more in part two, because I really want to talk about some of the the things that I'm seeing in the in society right now that actually appear to be trying to, I don't know if the word would be conjure up an antichrist. It's almost like there's dark rituals happening all over. And if you understand the symbolism, and that could be the biblical symbolism or the symbolism of secret societies or all kinds, there's all, there's, we live in a symbolic world. But if you understand many of those symbols, you see it everywhere. Like it's just absolutely everywhere. But it did. It does say that there's these specific requirements for end times to begin, and one of them was this one world government. So before we move past that one, do you feel like the one world government is going to be an actual physical one world government that we can point to and we say, right, the whole world's unified, or do you think it's more of a subtle one, which you could argue we already have? It's going to be in your, as in your face as anything has ever been in your face before. Okay, so. In when this ultimately comes to pass, okay, the we talk about inversion a lot. That which is good is evil. That which is evil is good. That's what's being touted in society at this point in time. 
There will also be an inversion with this world war government. Uh, when you talk about uh, the Trinity, you talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There will be an unholy Trinity in the end time. So it will derive its part from Satan or the, the great dragon, uh, and it will have two ministers on earth, one of which will be the Antichrist, and the other one will be his spiritual right-hand man, also known as the false prophet. This is not something you will be under any illusion about. This is not something you will be scratching your head wondering, is this it? Is this not it? I don't see a building. I don't see a guy. No, you will know about it. You will absolutely know about it when this guy manifests himself on the world stage. And there will absolutely be a push towards a literal one world government. Think about uh, the greatest totalitarian regimes in history. It will be like that on steroids right across the globe, not located to Uganda under Idi Amin or Pol Pot over in the Far East or Stalin or Hitler or any other uh, infamous dictator in human history. This will be like something you've never seen before. And again, in summary, just in summary, and it's just one chapter and I'm not going to read it, uh, but I'll allude to a few verses maybe later on in this discussion. But most of what you're talking about to answer your question can be found in Revelation chapter 13 that one specific book, Revelation chapter 13, where it talks about signs and wonders. It talks about uh, enforcement of worship of the beast and the consequences being death if you do not worship the beast or his image, or you do not take the mark of the beast, which will prevent you from trading, from traveling, from buying, from selling, from moving. Okay, this is not figurative speech. This is literal, and it can be found in Revelation chapter 13. That's as a point of reference for any of you listeners out there that have an interest in this and want to dig a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, okay. So let's talk a little bit about that mark of the beast, because that's something that people have been throwing around a lot recently, because, of course, with the restrictions that they were trying to force on people, it was all based around what you could and couldn't do. And it's that it's coming to vision that we we are going to enter a system very shortly where you're going to have restrictions put on buying and selling. So that always draws up in people's consciousness, this system, particularly when they start to talk about having a digital ID and a digital currency that's going to be controllable. And that really, you know, you could certainly see how that would be the infrastructure for a mark of the beast system. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's it just because we have it, just because we have a digital currency. And the Bible's very specific. It's a mark in the right hand or it's a mark on the forehead. Correct. And they also talk about how if you don't have that, then you're not going to be allowed to you know, buy or sell or trade or whatever. So do you think that the transhuman agenda is the setup for that, that it's going to come in like a Trojan horse, that people, because it does say in the Bible, people will have to willingly take it. And that suggests, well, it's actually very clear. There's going to be a choice. You, you Rick, can choose whether you take this. Or do you think that it's going to be something that's brought in like a Trojan horse through some, I mean, everyone just took an an injection, for example. Could that happen where that brings in the system? Or do you think it's going to be, no, we have to line up and accept that mark and accept what it symbolizes? There, there, there will be no ambiguity and there will be no Trojan horse, okay? It will be, Mike, you've got a decision. You take this and you can buy and sell, eat, travel, etc., or you don't and you're going to die. That's it. What do you want to do? You say, well, that's not fair. I didn't vote for this. I don't want this. It doesn't matter what you want. This is the way it's going to be. And in fact, you, you referenced transhumanism there. And interestingly, in that chapter in Revelation chapter 13, uh, idol worship or Baal worship is something that you'll be familiar with. It happened throughout all time. You referenced the book of Daniel earlier on. And if you reference, if you read through the book of Daniel, there's an infamous 
infamous uh, time when Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden statue. It says that if no man, when you hear the sound of music, if you don't bow down on your knees and worship the statue, you will be surely put to death. So again, there was no Trojan horse. It's like, Mike, you hear the music, you get down on your knees and worship or you're dead. Your choice. Uh, you don't have to die. Just get down and worship. Now, if you read that story about uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who refused to worship that and the fiery furnace trial, that gives you, uh, I suppose you would say, a foretaste of what it might be like in these last days. And what am I talking about? Well, in Revelation chapter 13, it's, it talks about uh, the beast, okay, and the, the powers that he will be able to exercise. Now, listen to this. This could be an illusion to transhumanism, which we're actually seeing as well at the minute. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but here's a biblical reference, possibly. It said, uh, and deceives, uh, uh, he does great wonders. He makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should listen, they should make an image to the beast. Okay, an image or a graven image to the beast, which had a wound by the sword and did live. And listen to this. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the beast should both speak and talk. So it's a, it's not a living entity. It's an image, but it has the power to speak and it has to be worshipped. And as many as would not worship the image of the beast, they should be killed. That is not a Trojan horse. There's an image. It speaks. You worship it or you die. That's it. There is no other choice. It's black or white. Then it was through to say, and he causes all, both small and great. Now, here's the great one here. This is all inclusive. The Rothschilds don't get a by ball. The Rockefellers don't get a by ball. The Pope doesn't get a by ball here, okay? All small and great, rich and poor, free and bond should receive a mark in the right hand or foreheads that no man might buy or sell, see if he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. It's going to be as in your face as it comes. The same as if you came to Ireland two years ago, wanted to go into a pub, didn't have a vaccine passport. They said, Mike, you're not getting in. That's it. You don't have the relevant paperwork. You're not getting in to drink alcohol. There's no ambiguity with it, Mike. It's 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 black and white, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think all of that is going to happen in a very black and white manner. But there is this, um, it does say also that if, that when the Antichrist comes, there's going to be a lot of Christians who take him ha as maybe the second coming of Christ. Yes. They, actually, they actually are tricked by him. So that's the bit where maybe I disagree or maybe I've misunderstood is that people are going to be well aware that it's the Antichrist. Maybe even we could be tricked, although I personally don't believe I'll be tricked because I'm about as sceptical as you get, Rick, and I know you are too. So I'm not anticipating that either of us are going to be, uh, be hoodwinked on that one. Um, because personally, I think the only people who can be tricked in this are people who actually do not understand the revelation of Christ or the revelation of God, the creator. And I say Christ, that's you can perceive it as Christ. You may be better off saying it a creator. But however you conceptualize it, if you truly understand how to um, worship the creator, then it's a personal thing. There's nobody else. Nothing gets in between that. Nobody can direct that. It's a personal connection between you and the creator. And therefore, anyone that comes down to earth, anyone that says that this, that or the other, it doesn't matter. Your 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 connection is with God and God alone. Now, people who are, who are trapped in man's religion and man's world, they worship what they're told. And 
they believe that they need to have some man uh, authority here on earth telling them how to worship. Let let me put let me put a little extra in there just to make myself perfectly clear. When the, I'm talking about the ultimate manifestation of this antichrist, how he ultimately manifest. Look upon it like this: it's almost like an abusive relationship. Or I seen a, a post the other day. If you've ever been in a relationship with a narcissist, you know what they expect. They start off, they love bomb you. They tell you that you're the most wonderful thing ever. You feel like you've been swept off your feet. You're in love. You can't see anything but this person. But very quickly, uh, once they've established themselves, then how would you say the gloves come off and the scales are removed from your eyes and then they reveal their true nature to people. So yes, uh, when the Antichrist does if he's not already on the world stage because we don't know for sure when he does come on the world stage he's going to woo people he's going to blow people's minds he's going to have people idolizing him and worshiping and thinking he's he's been sent from god himself to help us look how many people are putting their faith in men at the minute flawed men that you can see through a mile away but yet millions upon millions of people think hey they're out on our side they want to help us no you need to be blind but you've been wooed you've been love bombed you're just desperately clutching for something then they reveal their true colors and i do think that's what will happen when this character uh, comes on the stage he will be mind-blowing and also to take your point on board the bible also says that in the last days when this is all happening it says that if it were possible even the very elect would be deceived by the signs and wonders that this man does in the name of god setting himself up to be worshipped as god so remember the reference to the angel of light to the ministers of righteousness he shall appear as an angel of light, as a minister of righteousness, as a good person, as a peace broker, a, a peace lover, uh, uh, an all-inclusive, all-loving character. But that's just a facade. The real, uh, the real deal will happen when he gets established on the world stage. So that, uh, let me just make that clear. It's a process. And it talks um, in the Bible about how the... Antichrist will come once the temple has been reestablished in Jerusalem. So how much weight do you put all to that, Rick? Do you think that that, because it says in the Bible that that will be the indicator when the sacrifices are happening again and there's three years of sacrifices, do you think that we'll see this happen first? Because if so, that would almost indicate like there is going to be a very clear warning signs for people who know the scripture that you'd be able to say, oh, okay, right. I see the temples being reestablished. I see the daily sacrifices are happening uh, now we know it's that time. It's the very end game of all, all of this. Okay, there's uh, another chapter that I'll just reference for you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, talks about this, the abomination of desolation standing in the place. Uh, a lot of people will interpret that one way. Some people can interpret it another way. You'll get 50 theologians on there that'll say, yes, Mike, that's what will happen. Another 50 will say, no, that's not what's going to happen. If I can refer you back to 2 Thessalonians 2, those two verses, or those few verses, verses 3 to 11, that in the last days, let no man deceive you, that this Antichrist shall not be revealed until there is a great falling away first. That is the absolute rock solid, undisputable litmus test in all of this, a great falling away from the faith and from that which is good and right and proper. And that's why I believe the stage is being set up for that as per right now. Yeah, and I think it's very important to understand for a listener as well is that a lot of the things that are going to happen and that are happening and that have been happening 
over the past, uh, we could say thousands of years, but in my lifetime, at least all the things that I've studied, these things are very literal, but they're also very symbolic. The average person is going to miss so much if you don't understand the symbolism behind stuff and how they encode things. Uh, for example, the um, number 666, if you go back to Hebrew, uh, ancient Hebrew and Germantria, which they used to use, every character, every character was ascribed a numerical number. So therefore, the number 666, when, when you hear, see people doing all these weird kind of encodings online and trying to get numbers out of letters that's not yeah. actually nonsense there is actually grounding for that although a lot what a lot of people do with that is nonsense you know yeah. there is a lot of people just messing around trying to get it but it could very well be that the number 666 would be something like hebrew gemantria and you would be able to get that number because that is how it actually was used when revelations was written yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, it, the, the the Bible is absolutely full of symbolism and it's absolutely full of uh, number references, significant numbers. The number 40, for example, is hugely significant in the Bible. Yeah, we talk about uh, Christ going into the wilderness and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was 40 days before he ascended into heaven after he uh, was resurrected from the dead. Uh, Moses was 40 days and nights fasting, as was Elijah uh, before uh, he received the Ten Commandments. There's massive amount of references, for example, to the number 40 in the Bible, there are numbers that are extremely significant. But unfortunately, a lot of people have latched on to numerology, for example, and twisted it and bent it all out of shape to make it try and fit in with what they want to believe is going on in the world or happening in the world at this time. And therefore, like everything else is supposed like the Bible itself, it's, it's wide open for abuse if people start to try and dig too deeply into it without any proper studying and then try and make it fit into the narrative that they actually want to push. And if I can just say, you mentioned the temple again, and I said, well, you'll get people on saying this and people on saying that. That's scripture again. It's crucial. Listen, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. Uh, it says, a falling away must happen first, then the man of sin is revealed. And it says he opposes and exalts himself above all called God or all that is worshipped so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So there's a reference there to the temple specifically to do with the Antichrist in it, setting himself up as God to be worshipped as God after the great falling away. So it's only two verses. But I'm trying to keep this as simple as I possibly can and say that's really not a gray area there. This is black and white stuff. And do you think that would be the temple in Jerusalem then, Rick, that this will get rebuilt and uh, maybe replace, I think it's the Islamic Dome now that is on the, yeah. do you think that that will get pushed away and then we will have a temple rebuilt and we'll see the sacrifices starting to take place again? We're, we're hearing about Ukraine, we're hearing about Taiwan, we're hearing about stuff going on in Latin America. Listen, it's all going to kick off in Jerusalem, in the Middle East. That's where it's all going to kick off and it's all going to kick off because it's biblical and it will all be centered in and around that area. So yes, that particular point uh, on the world stage, uh, the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem is highly, highly significant. How it will actually look, physical, literal destruction, just a replacement building, I don't know, but we're told that this temple will be inhabited by the Antichrist and he will be appearing as God, doing signs and wonders that would deceive the very elect and worshiped as God before he then drops the veil and starts uh, enforcing his uh, rules and regulations, his own version of the COVID pass. 
Now, just for listeners who are not aware, what we're talking about here is in the faith of Judaism, the sacrifice of animals is something that they pray is they pray for those sacrifices to reoccur every day. And they used to enact sacrifices, and that was the way that they atoned for their sins. It's not like in uh, the religion that Rick has got, or the Catholic religion, or Christianity, where Jesus was the one who sacrificed himself for our sins. They actually sacrifice animals daily, and they pray as part of their daily prayer for the rebuilding of the temple where they can re-sacrifice the animals, and they have to sacrifice twice a day to atone for their sins. Now, all the time that's not happening, they're not able to atone for their sins. But there's this big problem here, and that's that where they want to rebuild the temple, there's the Islamic dome on there. So that has to go. They have to rebuild the temple there so they can start enacting the sacrifices again. Now, this is actually written into Revelations also. Most people don't understand the significance of what's happening over in Israel and Jerusalem and why so much of modern history is being centered around there, because it's a key part of what's going to come. Right. 100%. Uh, and I mean, I, when you think about it, as you've just perfectly outlined, you know, the history and the sacrificial history and the reason why it's not happening at the minute. Do you think uh, they're going to get together and petition uh, the local uh, Islamic community to remove the, the Dome of the Rock whilst they reiterate a temple sacrifice? It's not going to happen. Things are going to get violent. You think the world's bad and has been bad, it has. But the tribulation period, it talks about a time of suffering in the world's history, the like of never which has been seen before, nor ever shall be again thereafter. We, I can't uh, emphasize the violence that is coming. It's going to be breathtaking and nobody will escape, but it will be centered in and around the Middle East without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and you know, if you are listening to this and you think this sounds absolutely nuts, I'm sure some people will because maybe you've not got the uh, the biblical take or you haven't got the historic take. What you really have to do is start to look back at modern history and how it's been shaped around scripture. For example, if you go back to the Balfour Declaration and you look at how Israel was formed, why was that so important? Why was that so important? And how? And, and if you look at the players that were involved in that, and if you look at, I mean, one thing that we could talk about, well, there's only so much I want to get into because some of it is just so dark and it's such a bottomless pit that if you go into it, you never get out. But if you look at what was happening with Epstein, for example, and the sacrifice and ritual abuse that was going on with that and this temple that he had on his island, all of this is very symbolic and it all relates to what we're talking about here. So if you've noticed those things happening, you need to go deeper on those things to understand how it links to end times, because it all does link to end times. Uh, whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. They believe it and they're enacting it before our very eyes. Uh, let me put the caveat in here. I hope I've got this so wrong, Mike. I hope I'm completely wrong about all this, and I hope someday I'm... Well, I don't hope I'm disproven because my faith is what keeps me going, and I have an, a, a blessed hope uh, of an eternity with Jesus Christ because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. However, all this stuff that we're talking about, these events that will surely come to pass or shortly come to pass, in my opinion, I hope I'm wrong about it all. I hope I've misinterpreted everything, and maybe it did happen 2,000 years ago, and maybe I'm just stuck in a timeline but I've got it horribly wrong but deep down in my gut and in my spirit and I think uh, you would be of the same opinion we don't have it wrong it's playing out day after day after day and you've got to look at trajectory and you've got to look at velocity right what trajectory are we on where are we heading here 
and with what speed, okay? So if you throw a rock across a pond, you'll know roughly if you wing it at 45 degrees, it's going to arc up and across. It will gain speed as it leaves your hand in. It will hit air resistance. It will slow down and it will drop into the water. The trajectory that we're on is horrific. And the velocity at which we are moving, the rate of speed of increase, the rate of increase of speed at which we're on day after day, month after month is shocking, my friend. And it doesn't look like it's going to lead us. The trajectory doesn't look like we're going to a good place, if you get what I mean. <laughs> it certainly doesn't. And, uh, you know, it really feels to me like what's happening right now, and what's been happening my entire life, but unbeknownst to me for most of it is that they're trying to create the most fertile ground for the Antichrist to return. That's what's happening. And to do that, they have to fulfill certain points. They have to engage with this biblical end-time story themselves. It's not going to unfold without their engagement. And they worship the Antichrist, so they're actually bringing about those conditions. And it's very, very difficult because you need to have a one-world government. You need to have the temple rebuilt. There's so many different things that they have to have in place. You have to have a mass falling away from uh, meaning and from god that but all of this is happening now they're ticking the boxes on that list Correct. and then then it will trigger the return of the antichrist and that is what they're trying so hard to get to and that's why it's unfolding very fast in my opinion rick is that they've got the bit between the teeth as they say they know that they're very very close to ticking those final boxes but like you said before that actually happens there's going to be some really dark and awful times and what we've seen thus far will appear to be a child's play. And well, there's two ways of looking at this. I've heard people saying, well, the Bible's there and people have just took it and then they're trying to make uh, the pieces fit into that puzzle to make it happen. Listen, and my belief is this is all happening in God's time. He is in complete sovereign control of everything. So this push towards the end that we have at the minute or this ticking of boxes, which I 100% agree with. It's all happening in God's time and according to God's purpose because it was all prophesied thousands of years ago in the Bible. And usually the Bible's referenced there. Uh, the book of Revelations usually kicked in the, the New Testament books. The, 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 the end times has been in the Bible from Genesis right the way through to the book of Revelation. You know, uh, there's references made uh, to uh, prophecies of the return of Christ. If you read Psalm 22, uh, David is, it's a messianic Psalm talking about the crucifixion of Christ thousands of years before it even happened. It's almost like David was actually sitting at the foot of the cross, quoting the words of Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wicked assembly have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, they gamble for my clothes. It was a it was a prophetic psalm. So uh, it's not just limited to uh, Revelation. That's why I'm trying to reference books like Second uh, Thessalonians. I've got a lot of other references here, but I don't think we're going to get into them. And, and Corinthians and back into the Old Testament as well. It's right the way through. It's a theme that runs right the way through the entire Bible, but it's most known for the New Testament uh, references that some of which we're quoting here today. I think you've hit on something really important and i think this is something that will be really useful to some people listening to this and that's that there is so much there and it has been interpreted in so many different ways and i don't know all of it i when it comes to these things i'm i'm working on the backs of so many other people that have said these things and i'm listening to it uh, i am extremely interested in symbolism because i think that so much of what happens is encoded in it however like you said uh, you don't need to understand it. You don't need to understand all of it. You just have to have a template, a rough idea of where we're going, what's the trajectory, which is what you said, Rick. The trajectory is super important. 
but you certainly don't need to get bogged down in it. And these people who talk about the Bible in a very literal sense, uh, they're correct sometimes, but not all the time, because some things, are, life is very complex, and the way the Bible presents things is very complex. And I'm not saying the Bible's correct on everything, uh, because the Bible has been shaped and shifted and chopped and changed by man. Uh, and they've done that to make it, I mean, I, I believe most of the Bible is the divine revelation, because if you go into those so- stories extremely deeply, you'll find that the masterpieces, there's nothing that's ever been produced to rival them. However, I do think think things have been taken out. I think things have been shifted. So it, that, it again comes down to that inner belief, that inner feeling. Uh, and I do think it's a feeling. I think your heart or your soul speaks out once you find truth. And I think once you connect with that, uh, it doesn't really matter if you've got the full story in terms of all these symbolisms and things. It's just interesting. And for those that don't know, I studied theology at university. It was my first degree. And most of my life I've been studying symbolism, but more the esoteric. So we're coming at it from different angles as well. And that's why I really wanted to talk to you, Rick, because uh, I think you've got a much better grasp of the biblical take than I do. Well, here's the thing, right? This is my own particular Bible, okay? It's knackered. It's It falls apart. There's dead insects in there. Some of it, you'll see, is uh, very well worn, okay? Some of it is very dirty. Some of it is highlighted, other parts, not so much. With every individual, okay, there are parts of the Bible that you will gravitate towards and that resonate particularly strongly with you. So, for example, I am more into the simple, practical teachings of Christ, how I can apply them to my life. I am not as interested in the history of the temple, for example, or the genealogy of Christ that you read in some parts of the New Testament and some parts of the Old Testament. But other people might say, well, actually, that's what I'm interested in. And I'm not as interested in learning about the parables of Christ and applying them to my life. That's cool. It's it's whatever works for you. And I think with this whole business, the like of what we're talking about today, I'm just telling you about what works for me. I'm just sharing a little bit about what I believe. And I do not get offended, my friend. If someone says, Rick, you're a raving lunatic. I don't believe in any of it. It's all a load of garbage. What what difference does that make to me? This is This is what I believe. This is what's important to me. I don't need you to validate me or vice versa. We're just sharing our faiths and beliefs and trying not to say to everyone, you must follow this path. You must study it this way. You must go to theological school. You must get a, go to seminary before you can preach the word of God, etc. No, you find out what works for you. And the most overlooked teacher of all in the Bible is the Holy Spirit. The Bible, or Jesus says that, that when I go, I will send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into the way of all truth. Okay, so a lot of men run to college, and I'm not talking about you personally here, but a lot of people will flock to seminary, or as some people call it, the cemetery, uh, because it churns out uh, dead men's bones. It sucks the life out of them and instills a theological system of men into them, when in reality they're overlooking the greatest guide of all to the scriptures, which is the Holy Spirit. I have to say, Rick, I always laugh because if I say to somebody, oh, you studied theology, you'd think that, oh, you, you then you've you studied in ancient Greek and you you read the original uh, New Testament and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I actually learned nothing doing a theology degree. Like, well, I, I was introduced to some fantastic lecturers who taught me a lot about philosophy, 
uh, particularly with the Eastern religions and existentialism and things like this. So it certainly pointed me in the right direction, but it was kid stuff, Rick. It's not stuff that I could have let it myself in a few months, looking back, if I had the intellect that I have now, because I, I was a dummy for a long time and I had to self-educate. And once I got self-educated for long enough, I started to understand stuff that I couldn't figure out decades prior, if that makes sense. So I'm not a natural academic or anything like that well, me, ne- uh, me neither me neither and you know what i do listen the first thing i do when i get a book is kind of rip out the pages that i don't i'm not interested in i condense it and i distill it down to the things that i am and you mentioned about uh, studying greek and hebrew i had a friend a couple of friends who went to theological school and they were asked i was asking them how are you getting on i said great we're learning greek we're learning hebrew which is wonderful if that's what you want to do and they said what about you i said well i'm studying uh, swahili at the minute and they said well how is that going to help you in your studying of the scriptures they said it's not but i'm going to east africa a lot and when i'm in a prison or i'm in a slum or i'm in a hellhole and nobody can speak english being able to talk greek and hebrew is a completely useless to me i'd rather be able to invest my time speaking an indigenous language which is what i did another guy i remember in a coffee shop was sitting reading a bible he came up to me and he said are you a minister? Are you a preacher? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, I uh, noticed you're reading the Bible. I said, no, I'm just reading the Bible. And I, I, he said, uh, uh, I've just done a theology degree in uh, Dublin, blah, blah, blah. I said, very good. And uh, he said, one of my modules was missiology, missiology. I didn't even know what that was. I said, well, what's that? And he said, the study of mission work about going into the mission field and preaching the gospel. I said, have you ever been in the mission field? He says, no, uh, but I studied about it for three years. I said, listen, mate, I've never studied it, but I've been out there 20 times. I've planted churches, I've helped people out, I've preached the word of God, I've helped the poor and needy. I don't even know what missiology is, but yet I've done it. And you know what it is, but yet you haven't done it. So which one is ultimately more profitable? It's the application of your head knowledge or the application of your faith accounts, not being able to rattle off facts and figures and, uh, you know, analyses on this and that or the other. Do you apply what you know? Because if you don't, it's worthless, Mike. It's completely worthless. And that's why I think I like you so much, Rick. That's why I think we get on very well, because you, uh, you don't just talk the talk. I know for a fact you walk the walk and you have done in your life. Uh, and that's the way I believe it should be as well. I don't try and teach anyone anything. I just try and live, do things my way. And if someone some wants to listen to me, someone wants to listen to me yeah. talk, I'll talk to you. But honestly, it doesn't matter to me if I have, you know, when I started my YouTube channel, I said to my wife, like, if I've got 100 views in a year, then that's enough. Because somebody listens, yeah. just one person. So that's all that matters to me. I'm conscious that I don't want to take too much of your time, Rick. So I'm going to get started with part two. And I think in part two, what I really wanted to talk to you about was to begin to discuss what we're actually living through, what we're actually seeing take place, what's taken place over the past two years and what is yet to come, what they're telling us is about to come and how this relates to some of these themes that we've spoke about in part one. I think part one has been a really good foundation for people who are not sure what end times looks like, but I think you also put it fantastic when you said it doesn't actually matter how much of that you understand, but it's interesting for those that want to hear it. But what does matter is what's actually taking place on the ground, what's going to affect your life, your kid's life, your wife, your husband, whoever it is, it's going to affect all of us. And that's what I wanted to talk about in part two, Rick. So I'm just going to have a quick break. I'm just going to nip to the loo, grab a drink, and then I'll come straight back and we can start part two if that's okay. That's fine. I'm going to do the same thing.
If you awaken from this illusion and you understand that black implies white, self implies other, life implies death, you can feel yourself not as a stranger in the world, not as something here on probation, not as something that has arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basic, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence.